For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast. On the Believe Podcast Network, I'm your host, Dennis Ackerman. The Raiders return to the field Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As you know, this was originally a Sunday night primetime game on NBC. But since Trent Brown was placed on the COVID list and the rest of the starting offensive line, Colton Miller, Denzel Good, Rodney Hudson, and Gabe Jackson, as well as starting safety Jonathan Abram, were sent home as part of contact tracing. So the NFL announced it was moving the game to Sunday afternoon to ensure there would be a game on Sunday evening. And right now, that one is the Seahawks and Cardinals. I'll have more on how COVID-19 is impacting the Raiders-Bucks game, as well as a preview with my special guest coming up later in the podcast. The Silver and Black had the week off following their upset win over the Kansas City Chiefs. I said before, and I'll say it again, that was the biggest win of head coach John Gruden's second tenure with the Raiders. Now, you could make the case the Raiders are through their toughest part of the schedule, and they find themselves 3-2, second place in the AFC West. Now, I know Raider Nation is still buzzing following the win against KC, but it's time to look ahead as Tom Brady and the Bucks come calling. Now, my friends and I were discussing who's the best team in the NFC. Seattle was throwing out there. They're 5-0. And Russell Wilson is the early front runner for MVP. But their defense is atrocious, especially on the back end. I also think you can make a case for Green Bay, although they were humbled by Tampa Bay last Sunday. I said the Bucs. And it's not because of Tom Brady and all those offensive weapons. No, 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 no. It's their defense. And it's a good one. Perhaps the best in the NFL. Tampa Bay is currently a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Raiders. Now, I'm not going to lie. I was a little surprised when this line first came out. I thought the game might be a pick or perhaps the Raiders a slight favorite. Now, obviously, with the Raiders dealing with COVID-19, the spread could climb even higher or remain right where it is now. We're just going to have to wait and see. This is the fourth straight game the Raiders have been underdogs, and their record in those games is 2-2. Two and two. They beat the Chiefs and the Saints and lost to the Patriots and Bills. So, Raider Nation, if you're feeling good about Sunday and you want to throw some cash down on the silver and black, then head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses today. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Okay, before we get to this week's guest, let's look at the history of the Raiders and Bucks. This is just the 11th meeting all-time between these two, and I find that remarkable they've only met that few of times. 
The Raiders hold the series lead 7-3. The first time they met was 1976, and the Bucs were an expansion team. And that year, Tampa was in the AFC West. Now, the following season, they moved to the NFC Central. And even though Tampa was in the Raiders division, they only played once. And the Raiders won easily 49-16 in Oakland. Of course, the biggest matchup these two played was Super Bowl 37, Sunday, January the 26th, 2003. The Raiders in the Super Bowl for the first time since the early 80s, going up against Tampa Bay and head coach John Gruden. If you remember Raider Nation, in the offseason, Al Davis traded Gruden to the Bucs in exchange for two first-round picks and two second-round picks plus $8 million. Now, at the time, it seemed like a steep price to pay. But obviously, it was well worth it. Leading up to the game, I was surprised and worried the Bucs were in the Super Bowl because they upset the Philadelphia Eagles on the road in the NFC Championship game. I thought the Raiders were better than Tampa, but worried about the Gruden factor. I was at that game in San Diego as a fan, and I remember to this day, Raider Nation, on the third play of the game, Charles Woodson intercepted a Brad Johnson pass, and I turned to my brother and I said, there is no doubt in my mind the Raiders are winning today, and we are going to be Super Bowl champs. Well, unfortunately, as you all know, it was downhill the rest of the way, and Gruden and the Bucks won their only Super Bowl title. The following season, the two met in Oakland as Gruden came back to where it all started, and it was a bittersweet game. Yes, the Raiders won 30-20, to but late in the first quarter, Raiders quarterback Rich Gannon scrambled for a two-yard gain. But on the play, he was tackled, on a helmet-to-helmet -helmet collision with Tampa Bay linebacker Derek Brooks. Now, there was nothing dirty about the play. Helmet-to-helmet -helmet was legal back then. But Gannon broke a bone in his neck, which not only ended his season, but his career as well. The last time these two met was a wild overtime thriller in Tampa, which the Raiders won 30-24. With just under four minutes to play in regulation, the Raiders trailed by a touchdown. But Derek Carr led the Raiders down the field and tied the score on a car to Michael Rivera. Yes, you remember him, Raider Nation? Tied in who played four years for the Silver and Black. Well, he caught a seven-yard touchdown pass to tie it up. The Raiders got the ball back and actually had a chance to win it in regulation. But on the final play, Sebastian Janikowski missed a 50-yard field goal. Now, Seabass had another opportunity to win it in overtime, but this time he missed from 52 yards out. So it appeared this one could be headed for a tie. But with just under two minutes to play, the Raiders faced a fourth and three from the Tampa Bay 41-yard line. Carr found wide receiver Seth Roberts over the middle, and Roberts did the rest, outracing the Bucks' defense to the end zone and a six-point win for the Silver and Black. And there you have it, Raider Nation. Your look back at the Raiders Bucks series. Okay, Raider Nation, let's get to Sunday's matchup now. And for more on that, let me welcome in ESPN NFL Nation Raiders reporter Paul Gutierrez to the podcast. Paul, thanks so much for joining me. Dennis, thanks for having me, man. Long time, no talk. Absolutely. All right, before we delve into the game, I saw you posted on Twitter your mini <laughs> pennants of the Buccaneers and the Raiders. How old are those? You know, it's interesting, uh, Dennis, and I'm sure you can relate. The, the 
whenever you go through moves or whenever you're going through boxes and re, you know, adjusting things in the house, you come across stuff. And so I find this box. Actually, my parents brought me a box of my old things from from where I grew up in Barstow. And and it's weird. You open this box and it smells like it did when you first got them. And it was 1980. Those mini pennants were from 1980 and they still have that green gum on the back of them where I used to hang them up on my walls. So it still has that scent. It still has the sense of 1980. And it's really cool because you know it's 1980 because there were only 28 of them. And that's when there were only 28 teams in the NFL. And the Bucks had the creamsicle collars. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you miss it. Buccaneer Bruce and, and the, the creamsicle unis and everything. I mean, really a, a classic look. But you look at it and you think, how in the world did they get away with putting those on in, in the NFL back in the day? But, yeah, it was really cool. So every week I go back and – and whenever the Raiders, whoever they're playing, I'll find that mini pennant. But of course, if there's an expansion team or a team that, that started playing since 1995, I don't have that pennant. I kind of cheat when they play Houston or when they play Tennessee because it's the, the Oilers. But I'll throw them up there and let it happen. Hey, can you let people know your Twitter handle so they can check it out? Yeah, at P. Gutierrez ESPN, at P-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z ESPN. And, um, yeah, I, I do that. I'm on Instagram as well, same handle, and uh, Facebook too. So it's, it's a lot of fun to go ahead and share things like that. How long have you been covering the Raiders? Uh, in one way or another, as a quote-unquote professional, uh, since 2005. I came up to the Bay Area in 2005 from the L.A. Times to cover the Oakland Raiders then, and and uh, I've made kind of the transition to, to Las Vegas to cover them here. But in actuality, the very first Raider game I went to on a credential, I was 18 years old, just out of high school uh, in junior college, stringing from my hometown paper, the Barstow Desert Dispatch. And I was assigned to go write about the Seahawks backup center, Grant Fiesel, who was a Barstow High alum as well. So that was the final game of the 1988 season so i've been going to raider games uh, you know professionally so to speak since then when i was still in junior college i'd go to raider games all the time in 89 90 91 um just to you know get the sense of it and it really helped me get more of a sense of this franchise as the, of this organization of the history and things like that to to kind of know that you know that saying that they always play before games there's 31 teams in the nfl and then there's the raiders it, it's really really true so to have been around this team since 88 Went to a playoff game when I was 13 years old, January 1st, 1984. It's It's been kind of a long, long run to be around this organization and, and to see a lot of cool things, a lot of strange things, and uh, a lot of weird things all wrapped up in one. Paul, do you know, are you the only one who's covered them in L.A., Oakland, and now Vegas? I'd have to go down the list. Um, I'm sure there's there's people up in the Bay Area that used to go down and see them in L.A., and and now in, in the times that we're in, in COVID, there's not a lot of people coming down from the Bay Area to cover them. And, and everything is on Zoom anyway. So you have access to, to the team that way. You know, I'm going to have to look at that to see if there's anybody that, that still does that and, and check in with the team historian and see if that's the case. Because if, if, uh, if so, you know what, I'll, I'll put that on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> I went to, I believe I attended two games at the LA Coliseum. And the second one I attended was the playoff game. It's the Bengals. Bo Jackson gets hurt. And ends his NFL playing career. How crazy was it? I mean, we hear the stories. You were there, obviously. How crazy were the stands yeah. back then at Raider games? I was there for that game also, Dennis. And, and uh, I got photos of it. And I put them up on Twitter and on Instagram as well. But but you're right. I mean, I it's funny. Growing up, I, I considered myself more of a Rams fan. And they, oh, the okay. Rams were the team that played at, at the L.A. Coliseum. Uh, Vince Ferragamo was my guy. <laughs> but sure. my dad was the Raider fan. 
um, my dad was always talking about the Raiders and things like that. And then I look back at old photos and I see pictures of myself wearing Raider gear. And I'm like, wait a minute, my dad was planting a seed. He was dressing me up a certain way. And then when the Raiders moved to LA in 82, I was 12 years old. So I'm a you know, prepubescent teen boy. And, and you start to feel yourself a certain way. And then the Raiders come, you're like, oh, oh, that's what they're all about. Okay, I get it. They're the rowdy ones. They're in Mexico. They're called uh, Los Malosos, the bad boys. Um, and so that kind of manifested itself. Yeah, there was the Hollywood feel being in L.A. with with Howie Long and Marcus Allen and, and, and those guys making the transition to Hollywood. But in the stands, it was a rough and tumble type of an atmosphere that really kind of exacerbated itself with the advent of gangster rap and, and the rap uh, seminal rap group N.W.A. with Ice Cube and Eazy-E and Dr. Dre and those guys. So as it got worse and worse in the stands and when the team wasn't performing as well, the violence started taking place in the stands more than on the field. So when you were at games and you were covering games and you were down there, whether you're in the press box or on the field, um, myself, I was taking pictures. I was shooting the game down the field. You saw more cameras spun around taking pictures of the action in the stands, the fights that were going on up there than there were of what was going on on the field. Because what was happening in the stands was, was from a news point of view, probably more interesting than what was going on uh, on the field because the Raiders weren't very good towards the end of their, their tenure in Los Angeles. So it kind of had a Mad Max feel beyond Thunderdome. Sure. Uh, whenever you pulled up to the Coliseum, it wasn't in the nicest neighborhood of LA, uh, which is not a slight by any point of imagination or anything. But at the same time, um, you, you pull up to the game and you see these mobile prison cells kind of set up oh, for wow. whenever you knew, you knew that the, the local police were in for a day uh, when, when there was a game at the Coliseum. And, um, you know, it was like that when the Rams moved back as well. And, and I don't know if that's just sports in general, but I felt it at every NFL stadium I've been to. But but there's definitely a different feel to a Raider game, a Raider game in L.A. towards the end of their tenure there in the early 90s. Yeah, it was uh, you better not wear any color there except for black. You don't have to wear your team colors, but uh, just stay neutral. And you definitely got the sense of that. All right. Let's fast forward now to Sunday's game. Obviously, the big news this week, Trent Brown placed on the COVID list. The rest of the starting offensive line is sent home along with Jonathan Abrams starting safety. Paul, where are we at right now with this? Yeah, it's, it's messy. So basically Trent Brown tested positive for COVID. So as part of the protocols, they then have to do the contact tracing and anybody who was in close contact with them or is deemed a high risk contact with the player that tests positive has to go into self-isolation quarantine for a minimum of five days. If they get placed on the, the COVID list, which is what just happened uh, on Thursday. So you had the remain the other four starting offensive linemen, uh, Colton Miller at left tackle, uh, Denzel Good at left guard, center Rodney Hudson, uh, Gabe Jackson at right guard. They all went on the COVID uh, list as, as well as Abram, like you mentioned. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily they're not going to play, but the, they can't practice. They can't be out there on the field. Uh, I've been told by a team source that they've been doing virtual training. So they've been, they've been watching practice. Uh, they've been zooming and doing things like that to get ready just in case, but because they're on the COVID list, the only way they come off that is they have to be there for at least five days plus the le- day of last exposure, which would have been Monday. So you go five days plus one. And then as long as they test negative all those days and then negative again, Sunday morning, they can then be activated to play but they would be activated to play without a week of practice coming off of bye week two against a very fearsome Buccaneer defense. So there's a lot of things at play here. The game was actually moved up from a Sunday night affair to Sunday afternoon because the league wanted to guarantee there would be a game Sunday night. 
but it, it kind of rips the Raiders off of a few more hours of preparation in case those guys can't play. Is there a chance this game could be canceled still? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if there's an outbreak, I mean, that's the thing. That's that's one thing to, to, to keep in mind is words do matter, obviously. And if, and if people talk about this as there, well, there's been a coronavirus outbreak with the Raiders, not really. You got one guy that tested positive. All these other guys are being being uh, secluded or being excluded because of the protocols. So if there is an outbreak and, and guys start testing positive, yeah, there, there is a very strong possibility that the game's not played. Um, I, I was talking with a, with a league source today and they said as of now there are no plans to move the game it makes more sense to me to move the game to monday or tuesday i mean they bent over backwards it seems like for the titans and for the patriots but for the raiders <laughs> they eliminated four hours off their prep time and moved them up uh so it, it, there's a possibility of a lot of things but the league as it stands right now what they told me was due to present circumstances there is no plan to move the game and current circumstances are basically the worst case scenario so if they're not if they're not going to move it based on what's happening now, I don't see how they can move it at all. How would you assess the Raiders after their first five games? Yeah, if X's and O's, right? Strange to talk about <laughs> that team. But when we talk about the Raiders, as you know, I mean, the Raiders are always about so much more than just the game. And they are. And as a team, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, saw them if they were two and three at the bye, that would be pretty good because they would start to feel themselves. It's a good jumping off point to the rest of the schedule, which was going to ease up a little bit. Nobody saw the Buccaneers being this good defensively. Nobody saw the Browns being that explosive offensively, the Colts being decent, but to, to go into Kansas city and have a statement game like that. I mean, that, that's easily their biggest win since 2016 when they went 12 games, uh, the defense, the second half, they put on a clinic against Patrick Mahomes, the offense. It was the prototypical Gruden smash mouth, football because i'm old enough to remember and i'm sure you are too that everybody thinks of gruden as this young whiz kid coach who had this explosive offense that wasn't it at all no that was, was bill callahan that was callahan uh gruden was grinded out win the time of position of possession pound the rock and you know you start talking about gruden you start doing the voice and doing the snarl and raising the eyebrow as chucky but that was the quintessential gruden game they 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 beat the chiefs by almost 11 minutes in time of possession so that is where they are, and they're showing those flashes. Trent Brown comes back. It's a dominant offensive line. Richie Incognito should be ready to come back, and then this happens. So where are they? I don't think they even know right now, Dennis, because there's so many things at play regarding are they going to be able to play? Who's going to play? I mean, is Raider Nation ready for an offensive line anchored by Andre James and, and Brandon Parker and Sam Young? I mean, that's to be seen. You mentioned the, the defense in the Kansas City game. I thought in the second half that was the best the defense had played the entire season, and they didn't blitz Mahomes a lot. So what do you think the game plan is going up against Brady and all those weapons Tampa Bay has on offense? It's kind of the same scenario, right, because Mahomes is definitely a heck of a lot more mobile than Tom Brady. Um, but the way they beat Mahomes defensively was they flooded the secondary. They flooded the, the, the back there. So he didn't have, yeah, he had more time to, to throw the ball and the plays develop. But if they're flooded down there, nobody's going to be open. And that's trusting your front forward to win their individual matchups. And, and again, being an old school Raider guy like you are, you remember, it, it, there wasn't a lot of blitzing going on with those teams back in the 70s and the 80s. They were just physically manhandling and beating up their guy up front. And that's what you saw go on in Kansas City. You saw Cleveland Furl looking like a number four overall pick. You saw Max Crosby looking like a pro bowler and beating their guy and getting the quarterback and, and just throwing him off his rhythm. 
that I think has to be the same type of mentality going against Tom Brady and, and, and this Buccaneer team. Uh, the fly in the ointment for the Raiders is I can't remember the last time the Raiders could actually cover a tight end. Now you got Gronkowski coming into town. It's, it, it could get ugly. Um, it could get ugly quick. And I, I just, for Raider fans, I, I hope it's not a repeat of 48 to 21 from, from uh, Super Bowl 37. I, I, I don't know. I threw that score up as my prediction on ESPN.com just to kind of remind people where we've come from and how far yet we still got to go in terms of the virus and, and being shorthanded and everything. But that is the way to beat Tom Brady is to make him uncomfortable with a pass rush up the middle this time. And if you're able to do that, that throws off his, his timing. It throws off those quick hitches, the slants, everything else. Then you flood the back end, and, and that's what the defense needs to do. Of course, obviously, it's, it's easier to say than do. Mike Tyson said it, and he probably said it best. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Jeff Heath had a career, uh, not a career, I beg your pardon, season high in snaps at safety. Also had the big interception. You see more playing time for him moving forward? I think definitely if, if Jonathan Abram can't play, um, you know, the, the strong safety and free safety in this defense are kind of interchangeable. Uh, I know technically one's supposed to be where the tight end is, but, but these guys, they know all the positions and things like that. And Heath has, has, has earned more time. So there, there's no doubt that I think he's going to be able to get out there and do some things. Uh, he's shown his wares, so to speak. And, and, you know, with Rod Marinelli recreating his whole Cowboys defensive line <laughs> with all the signings they've made. I mean, he knows this defense as well. Um, is he as fast and as athletic and as much of a, uh, a human heat seeking missile as Jonathan Abram? No, but nobody else is, but he knows the defense. So he'll see some more time going forward. And, and, you know, who knows if Abram uh, again, continues to test negative all week long and, and, and can go on Sunday. It's easier for a defensive player, I think, to just jump in there, you know, plug and play than it is for an offensive player to go out there and try and learn a scheme. Paul, you mentioned all the former Cowboys signings. That includes this week, David Irving. What are the Raiders hoping to get out of him? You know, what's funny is, is John Gruden was asked that specifically, but it was right after he had announced that all these guys were, were uh, going into – isolation because of the, the coronavirus and he his answer basically was i don't know i don't know what we're getting in him we just hope he's got something he's got a resume but he hasn't played in a long time uh what they do hope to get out of him obviously by signing him is some more help in the pass rush uh when he's on the field he 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 does produce um his stats speak for themselves in terms of getting to the quarterback and finishing and getting home and that's what the raiders need uh, especially every team needs it, right? But but with the Raiders, if you have a suspect secondary, that's going to put pressure on the defensive line. Suspect defensive line, that's pressure on the secondary. So if he gets in there and, and again, wins more one-on-one -on -one matchups, that's going to make it better for the secondary, for linebackers that are still figuring things out with Corey Littleton uh, and, and you know being a, a, a coverage linebacker too. So you just hope that he comes in and the Raiders are hoping that he comes in and he could be an impact type player. Obviously, that's what everybody would like. I want to go over to the other side of the football now. I thought against Kansas City, Paul, in the first half, the Raiders' offense, believe it or not, was Air Gruden. I mean, Henry Ruggs III had the long touchdown reception. And then the second half was more the, you know, the ground and pound with Josh Jacobs. Uh, you talked about Tampa's defense earlier. Do you see a, a balance, once again, of that type of offense? Or what do you think the blueprint is going up a very, very good Tampa Bay defense, which arguably it could be the best in the NFL? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be more of the same, right? And that's the way John Gruden wants to win games. I mean, he loves, you know, spider two Y banana, spider Y two <laughs> banana, however it is, you know, using the fullback. Uh, he loves using the tight ends. And it's funny because throwing the deep ball has always been a staple of, of Raiders plays since 1963 when Al Davis landed with the franchise. And even John Gruden said after that game, it was kind of a backhanded compliment, but you knew where he was coming from where he said, yeah, we took a couple deep shots. I'm sure that would have made Al Davis happy. So it's not ingrained in John Gruden's DNA, but yet that's why they drafted it. They drafted this kid to be some sort of a hybrid of Cliff Brantz and, and James Jett. And if they get somewhere in between there, then, then that's a winner. Uh, Cliff Branch, the late Cliff Branch should be in the hall of fame. James Jett was fast Henry Ruggs is fast. Um, and when you put him on the field, he alters what the defense has to. They at least have to pay attention to him. They have to respect him. They can't load the box. And that's only going to help uh, Josh Jacobs. And again, it comes down to ground and pound and, and eating the clock. And, and Derek Carr, not necessarily being a game manager, but, but taking what the defense gives him rather than taking what he wants. And that, if you go back in history with this franchise, was ultimately where Al Davis and John Gruden kind of banged heads a little bit. You know, it's just a difference in philosophy there. Take what the defense gives you or take what you want. And either way, if you get the W at the end of the day, everybody should be happy, right? Right. So, Paul, let's just say, looking ahead, the Raiders have to play their backup offensive line. What does it look like? Yeah, you know what? That That's one of those things where you literally have to <laughs> – Pull out a media guide and look at it. I wrote a story for ESPN.com on it. Uh, if you go on solely by the team's uh, official depth chart, Brandon Parker's your left tackle. He's got 15 starts in 29 games over three years, though most of those were at right tackle. Uh, you got rookie fourth rounder John Simpson, who's uh, made one start in three games at left guard. Uh, you got uh, Andre James, who started one time in 17 games at center. He was an undrafted rookie last year. Um, you got Sam Young, who's been in the league a long time, uh, and he's, he's played 95 games over 11 seasons, only 22 starts. Uh, he'd be there at right tackle. And then at right guard, you, you would have um, Patrick Omome, who, again, Raider fans would be like, who? Well, the guy's been in the league for seven years. And, say that and name one a, more time. Paul, Paul, yeah, say that name <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Patrick Omame. Omame. And, and again, I'm no disrespect mean meant at all, but he's got some pelts on his wall. I mean, he, he's played, you know, 50, he's played 81 games in seven years, 57 starts, but that's what you're looking at. And then they've got two guys on the practice squad, Eric Magnuson and, and Jared Jones Smith, who has yet to play a game in the NFL. So going up against the team in the Buccaneers that has 22 sacks right now, and it's set ring second in the NFL. Um, that, that's that's not very appealing or appetizing for a Raider offense that seemed like it just got its legs under itself uh, in Kansas City a couple weeks ago. Wow. Okay. All right, then. Finish this sentence for me, Paul. The Raiders will beat the Bucks. probably a long shot the way it's looking now, <laughs> if what happens? If all those guys test uh, test negative all week long and they're activated and, and they're, they're fresh because you think they're coming off their bye, they're going to be fresh anyway. And this is almost like an extra week. Um, the game plan remains the same. Uh, they wouldn't have had practice, so they wouldn't have been beat up all week long. It would have been like a bunch of veteran days off all week long. And they're able to to control to play and control the clock. I think they could still do it if they control the clock, even with this the you know mash unit of a, an offensive line. Um, but you keep Tom Brady off the field. You keep Rob Gronkowski off the field, all those weapons they have 
And if you impart your will on offense against that good defense and frustrate them, that's how you win. And they showed that at Kansas City because I, I don't think anybody really thought they could do that at Kansas City, and, and, and it worked to perfection for them there. Great stuff, Paul. Really appreciate you joining me on the podcast today. Dan, it's my, my pleasure, man. Let's, let's do it again and uh, keep track, and I'll see if I can pull up that old Cleveland Browns uh, <laughs> pennant, mini pennant next, next week. Okay, Raider Nation, don't forget you can follow Paul on Twitter at P. Gutierrez ESPN, and you can keep up with all the latest Raider news by reading Paul's articles at ESPN.com. Don't forget, Raider Nation, the Raiders and Bucks is now Sunday. It's a 105 kickoff, and you can catch it on your local Fox affiliate. That's going to do it for this edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, and thanks so much for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.